What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash Bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. The sky went dark. It was full of birds. I mean, these birds were flying just three feet off the ground, and the people had to duck out of the way to get out of their way, while others raised up nets to let the birds hit the nets and begin to collect them. (sighs) These were quail. This was good eating. And the people of Israel were not going to let this opportunity pass. But there were so many of these birds, so many thump, thump, hitting their nets, so many being knocked to the ground and then clubbed. The people were collecting quail after quail after quail, so much meat. This was going to be awesome, someone yells. Think of all the meat we can eat, someone else yells. No more manna, screams someone else. This was great. No more manna. This was great. Or was it? Moses? He knew it wasn't great. You know, I think as Moses stayed in his tent hearing the cries of the people and the whops of the quail as they hit his tent, I think he thought of these cries of joy. They're soon going to be turning to cries of weeping and despair. He knew this seeming blessing was going to turn into a judgment on the people in a month. Little did Moses know it, it wasn't even going to be that long before. God's judgment fell upon the people. What is happening here? Quails, thousands of them? Barely three to five feet off the ground? Being collected by the Jewish people for food? But wasn't God providing manna for the people? I mean, he had provided quail earlier, but that was a one-day blessing. Instead, the Lord had provided food for the people with the daily blessing of what is it? You know, otherwise known as manna. Was this a one-off bonus again? A celebration of some kind? Or or was this a curse? Again, what is exactly happening here? Sadly, what looked like food in abundance 
was soon going to turn into graves of craving. See, it had been about a year after the people had left Egypt, and God had come down to dwell with the people and had taken residence in the tabernacle to be with his people. Now, a cloud would come over the tabernacle, and a pillar of fire would be seen in the cloud during the night. So during the day, a cloud would come over the tabernacle, and at night, this pillar of cloud would then have a fire inside of it that would burn the whole night long. Now Moses and the people had completed the tabernacle for the Lord to be worshipped in and also for the Lord to dwell in to be amongst his people. In particular, the Lord would speak to his people from the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses would go into the tent of meeting. And, and sometimes the tent of meeting was separate. It was a different tent. And sometimes the tent of meeting was the tabernacle. But either way, Moses would go into the tabernacle or the tent of meeting to meet with the Lord and to hear from Yahweh. Now, when the cloud and fire were over the tabernacle, the people stayed. But when the cloud was lifted, the people would move. They were led by the presence of God in the cloud and the pillar of fire. Wherever the cloud went, the people went. And when it stayed, as long as it stayed, a month, a year, three months, a day, however long it stayed, the people stayed. Now, the way the people knew to move or stay or even go into battle and fight was by the blast coming from two silver trumpets. Yes, the cloud would move, but they also would know, okay, it's time to officially move out when a blast would come from these two silver trumpets. See, one day God came to Moses and commanded him to build these trumpets. And then he taught him the way they were to be blown, or the way the priests were to use the trumpets and blow through the trumpets, and how each different sound would be a warning to the people that something was about to happen. At the tabernacle, if one trumpet was blown, only the heads of the tribes were to gather at the door of the tabernacle. If both trumpets were blown, the entire congregation was to gather. Then they would have different trumpet sounds, you know, a short blast here, a different sound here. And depending on how it was blown and what sound came out of it, it would indicate what congregation should assemble or, or whether all the congregation should assemble or just a certain tribe or whether they should march out of the camp or whether they should march out to war. Now, according to Jewish tradition, a long blast out of both trumpets indicated the people were to assemble. Short staccato-like blasts were used to let the people know they were about to go into battle. And sometimes those short blasts would also sound in order to begin moving. The priests were also to blow the trumpets at the time of major feasts. So whenever they had a Passover or the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles, and then the silver trumpets would be blown at the new moon festivals on the first day of each month. This use of the trumpets was not so much to announce these various festivals. They were more there to celebrate the presence of of God amongst his people on these special occasions. It was a time to celebrate. God's with us. Blow the trumpet. Well, on the 20th day 
of the second month of the second year after the Exodus, only 20 days after the beginning of the instructions to Israel about their move from Sinai, the Lord lifted the cloud of his glory from above the tabernacle. They had been at Sinai for almost a year, but now they were moving. The silver trumpets, the silver, I don't know, maybe it was shirts of God. Either way, the silver trumpets blasted forth and gave their short blasts so the people and the specific tribe knew when to move. See, the Lord laid out when the tribes were supposed to move. Well, Judah gathered their tents and their stuff and they headed out first. Of all the tribes, they led the way. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was already ahead of them, leading the way, but Judah was the first tribe to move. That was the order, and they were to head out, and they were the first ones to move whenever the people of Israel moved. Then, tribe by tribe, the people, depending on the blast of the horn, but again, laid out by God, tribe by tribe, they knew, okay, we're second, we're third, we're fourth, we're fifth. And then some of the people would also take down the tabernacle and then they would begin to transport it. And then finally, the last tribe would move out and that was the tribe of Dan. They were the last to pick up all their tents and move out. And all of this is being coordinated by the sound of these silver trumpets being blown by the priests. The people of Israel finally left Mount Sinai after having been there roughly a year. Now they're a newly formed a nation. A nation that had made a covenant with Yahweh. And now Yahweh was moving with them, protecting them from the heat of the desert by providing a cloud for shade during the hot, sun-drenched days, and then keeping animals at bay as the fire of God's presence burned at night. Whenever the cloud came down and settled, the people of Israel would then set up camp right there. Trusting God as they moved from station to station through the desert, heading for the long-waited promised land. Things are going great. God is moving the two million strong Jewish people towards the promised land. But you know there were people already in the land that they were moving through. And these people did not want the Jewish people to be there. They wanted the people of Israel to stop and go back home. But they didn't. They kept on coming. And so the surrounding nations began to attack them. Or at the very least, they began to be a thorn in their side. I mean, this was a dangerous time for the new nation. But every time the people moved, Moses would pray and say these words as the Ark of the Covenant led the people out. Arise, Lord, let your enemies be scattered and those who hate you flee from your presence. And then when it came to rest, Moses would say, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Now, I don't think Moses would ask God to make their enemies flee from their presence if they weren't being attacked, right? Well, I think some of the people, I think they got tired of this. I think they got tired of having to fight or to send their kids off to battle every day. Plus, plus, I hate to say it, some people were getting downright tired of eating manna every day. 
You know, they had tried every version of manna. The food God provided for the people of Israel, they had tried every single version. Fried manna, crispy manna, dessert manna, spicy manna, sushi manna, vegetarian manna, manna noodle, Dunkin' Donuts manna, Italian manna, pizza manna, Mexican manna, Chinese manna. I mean, all the ways you could try manna, these people had done it. Manna between slices of bread, peanut butter jelly, and manna. Well, Moses' favorite, I think, was something called ramen manna. Oh, and another one I think he liked was manna loaf. But in the end, they didn't actually make all that. But it does say in the Bible that the people were getting sick of manna. But the cool thing about manna is you could grind it up into a powder. You could also spread it out there. You could also fry it and, and boil it in water. There were so many ways to eat manna is the point I'm trying to make. There were so many different ways to eat it. But some people... Some people were still not happy. And in the end, what a lot of them missed was meat. As good as manna was, they missed meat. You know, I can imagine they dreamt of eating a good meaty stew. Or, or maybe they, they thought of, oh, remember when we had a nice sirloin or a prime rib? Or remember that chicken sandwich we had once? Or good fried chicken or good kosher sausage? Man, some people thought, I miss meat. Crispy grilled fried meat. And that's when some people did it. Something so horrific that it led to the deaths of many. You know what it was that some of the people did? They grumbled and complained at God. First, maybe they kept it to themselves. You know, I can't believe we're eating all manna. We just stuck with manna, man. I miss meat, I miss meat, I miss meat. We're stuck with this manna. And then they started to voice it to just their families. But then... Soon, some clans began to hear the grumbling and complaining, spreading from family to family. And soon, like a disease, like a rash, the spirit of complaining and grumbling began to spread further and further throughout the camp. The people were openly grumbling and complaining against the Lord about the food. The complaining had become vocal. It was no longer inward and felt. It was now voiced and shouted. And to that complaint, Yahweh answers with punishment. The Bible says that when the Lord heard their complaint, his anger burned and a fire burned among them. Specifically, it says burning the outskirts of the camp. Now, the tabernacle was in the middle of the congregation of Israel, and I wonder if the tent of meeting was set up outside the camp, and that is where the fire of God's anger burned from, maybe? Or was it simply just fire that God localized to burn the goods and stuff? And sadly, some of the people who were leaders of the complainers. You know, I can imagine one of the complainers is gathering a group to protest nothing but manna. We want meat. 
Nothing but manna, we want meat. And he's gathering people to ask for more meat, less manna, more meat, less manna. And he's standing in this tent when all of a sudden he thinks, boy, it's getting hot in here. And he, and he looks up and the tent is on fire. And all the protest signs he had made were burned up just like that. And the fire rages from tent to tent on the outskirts. And, and, and this burning sadly led probably to the death of some of the people who were rebelling. This was bad. These people were taking the good things that the Lord had provided and openly raising their fist at God and saying, it's not good enough. We want something better. Well, you would think that a blazing fire coming from the Lord would have been enough to shut the complainers up, especially as it caused the death of some of them, but it wasn't. The Bible, in the book of Numbers, calls these complainers riffraff, or a rabble. And it is the only time in the Bible that this word for riffraff is used. And it probably means a small company of complainers. Not all of the Jewish people, and maybe some of this riffraff, because of the uniqueness of this word, maybe some of them were even foreigners who had joined the Israelites in their wandering. Ultimately, what made this riffraff, this rabble of people, stick together was their unity around one thing. Their anger at the way they thought God was treating them. A unity around a singular craving for one thing in particular, meat. They wanted meat. And it wasn't fair that God didn't give them meat. They deserved meat. God should give it to them. God's not taking care of them properly. We want meat. And one day, this riffraff, this rabble of complainers found Moses and began to complain to him. I'm tired of manna. I want protein. Hey, I fried, boiled, fricasseed manna, and now I want something else. I've developed a manna intolerance, and so really I need to go manna-free to recover. So this isn't fair that my diet is restricted to manna. We want meat. No more manna. We want meat. No more manna. The Bible talks about the craving that these people had. It was an outward craving for meat, meat and more meat, but actually, inwardly, it was a rejection of Yahweh. And it was rejection of good things that he provided. Well, this outward craving for meat, you know, the, the people came to Moses again and they said, Moses, we should have stayed in Egypt where we could eat as much meat as we wanted. Remember, somebody says, remember the fish as one of the complainers? I know it's not technically meat, but since we're complaining, does anyone remember the fish? Yeah, I do, shouts another one. Yeah, I do. And remember the garlics and the onion and the meat and the meat and the meat. The people began to weep and cry. This is getting out of hand here. They may be tired of manna, but the Bible says many of the families of the rabble began to cry and weep over their lack of meat. I mean, this is ridiculous. And remember, their anger and their frustration and their complaining and their whining is directed at God. 
But you know what? Their immediate weeping and crying and complaining and whining and wailing is directed at Moses. Well, Moses, after hearing this for day after day, and when he's confronted with all their complaining and whining and weeping and crying, Moses' response is he goes to God and he complains himself. But not because of a lack of meat, but because of the exhaustion that these people are. They are such joy suckers out of life and what an exhausting people they are to lead and he goes to God and he says why have you given me these people to lead he says have you seen these people Lord all they do is whine and complain and they're so ungrateful why are they asking me for meat Moses says I can't do anything about it did I give birth to these people I can't put up with their complaining anymore. Please, God. And this is what Moses literally says. He says, please, if I'm stuck with these ungrateful people, please kill me now. I'd rather die than be stuck with these complaining, ungrateful people. Wow. This must have been bad for Moses to ask for God to kill him. I will admit, have you ever listened to people whine and complain? If you've ever had kids, you know exactly what this sounds like and how irritating it can be, how soul-destroying and crushing it can be. Well, God answers Moses. Moses had said that he can't provide them meat, the meat they crave. There's no way he can provide that much meat to satisfy that many people. No way. So Moses asked, what is he supposed to do? He asked the Lord, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? To which God replied with a plan to help Moses deal with all the people. And a plan that would also result in judgment upon the complainers for their sinful ways. God wants Moses, first of all, to pick 70 men to meet with Yahweh so that the Spirit of the Lord can come upon them so they can help Moses to meet with all the people and to deal with all their complaints. And then God says, I'm going to send meat. And I'm going to send meat to satisfy the cravings of the people. But God goes on to say, he's not just going to send meat to satisfy the cravings of the people for a day two days or three, but he's going to send enough meat to satisfy them for a month, a month. Now Moses is like, okay, hang on. That is impossible. There's no way there's enough animals or fish in the sea to feed all these people. To which God replies in Numbers 11, verse 23, is the Lord's arm weak? Now you will see whether or not what I have promised will happen to you. So Moses agrees and he goes out. He accepts the Lord's will and he explains to the people what is about to happen. He then gets 70 men to come meet him at the tent of meeting outside the camp. So these 70 men chosen by Moses then encircle the tent of meeting and the Lord comes down and meets with Moses and these 70 men. 
And then the Bible says God took some of the spirit of the Lord from Moses and put that spirit upon the 70 men so that these men began to prophesy and to proclaim the glory of the Lord. And then it stopped, this prophecy. And it never happened again amongst these men. But they were still filled with the spirit of the Lord. And so the next day, they got to go out and they got to deal with the problems. They helped Moses. They encouraged him. So Moses didn't have to just deal with the problems on his own. Well, at some point that day, Moses made the people, I think, stand out there. And then he began to see there was a little bit of darkness way off in the distance. And then they heard it fluttering or buzzing. And they couldn't tell what is that fluttering or buzzing? You know, it's getting nearer and nearer. And that dark cloud is getting bigger and bigger. And then they saw a dark, long cloud of something flying and buzzing toward them. And as the cloud got closer and closer, they could see that it was quail. Millions upon millions of quail. I mean, it must have been a fantastic sight to see because these quails weren't miles up in the sky. No, they were roughly, the Bible says, three to four feet off the ground. And these quails should not have been in the region at this time. No way. They shouldn't have been in the region at this time of year. Normally, winds in this region push them far away from where they are. But here, a strong wind picked these quail up and dumped them in the region of Israel. And here comes the quail. Thousands upon thousands. Again, I think millions upon millions of them. And they flew straight at the Israelite camp. So the people go grab their nets and maybe even some of them caught them all during the night. You know, the the Bible says that these quail came during the night, during the day. These quail filled the land. The people of Israel night and day caught quail after quail after quail. I can imagine somebody went out there with a net, caught some quail. I think somebody else ran out there with a bed sheet, caught some quail. I think somebody went out there with a frying pan, bonk, knocks them down, bonk, grab those quails, you know, and they caught up to 60 bushels is the smallest amount. And again, I think that 60 bushels, the small amount, was probably caught by a guy named Leroy who only had his bed sheet or his frying pan handy or his bare hands to try to pluck him out of the air. I think the smart ones caught way more. It says in the Bible that the smallest amount was 60 bushels. Now, a bushel is eight gallons. So imagine, one bushel is eight-gallon milk jugs. So imagine... 60 of those things, 60 of them, all full of quail. God had told Moses to watch him work. God had told Moses he's going to provide them so much meat, they're going to get sick of it. And guess what? God did it. He provided more than enough meat to last a month. And so the riffraff, the rabble with the craving, began to feast. Their craving for meat was satisfied, and they dove right in. They probably grabbed some quail and began to fry it or cook it over the open flame. 
And then it was done. The people could eat and they started to tear off the meat and the rabble pushed their way to the front and started eating and eating and eating and eating. And then the judgment of God fell. God did not give them a month to experience eating quail. No. He punished them now. The Bible says as the food was between their teeth. In other words, before the people even had a chance to swallow and enjoy it, God sent a plague among them. Numbers 11.33, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the Lord's anger burned against the people, and the Lord struck them with a severe plague. You know, I wonder what this plague looked like. Did they start to choke and their skin broke out in boils and they died? Or did their eyes and nostrils start to bleed? But the people saw this plague and they knew it was the judgment of God on them for their sin of complaining and for lack of trust. Sadly, many people died that day. And the people had to come and bury them. They dug up the dirt in that area and they buried these riffraff, this rabble of whiners. When the last grave was dug and the dirt piled on top, someone yelled out, Graves of craving. That's what we should call this place. Graves of craving. And that is what the place was known moving forward. Kibroth Hatava. Numbers 11, verse 34. Graves of craving. And I wonder how many people are dead in their grave of craving. Instead of obeying the Lord, Instead of trusting what the Lord provides, some people look for fun in places they shouldn't look. Some people let cravings in their lives take over and they get involved with all sorts of things that destroy their bodies. And God says, it's not good for you to be on this drug. It's not good for you to crave these things. It's not good for you to crave for the look of, of something and someone else. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't go there. You're being disobedient. These are graves of craving. Don't do it. But instead of listening to God, they, they listen to their belly. They listen to their appetite. And they end up in a grave of craving. Or, or how many people don't die, but they're stuck in a life that feels like a grave of craving. They can't kick that habit. Or they lose friends, they lose family, all for a craving. They can't give it up. And these people, they lost their lives. Because they didn't trust what God provided. They didn't trust God. Instead, they went with their belly, and, and they went with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, as the Bible says, and the pride of life. They, they went after the things in the world. God says, you got to trust me. God says, I will give you every good and perfect gift 
God says that if a father would not give something like a rock or a snake as a present to their son, don't you think your good father, your good, good father will will give you something that is good for you and a blessing? But so often we're like the people of Israel. We think God should take care of us in a certain way, or I shouldn't have to deal with this, or why am I still struggling with that? And we crave other things that we don't have. And God says, are you going to trust me? Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to listen to your stomach? Are you going to listen to your lusts? Are you going to listen to your heart and your feeling? Are you going to listen to your cravings? I pray let's learn something from the people of Israel. Let's obey God, even though it may not make any sense, even though we may get tired of manna every day. But it's God's best. And we need to stop complaining and trust the beautiful heart and love of the Savior for us. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week. Thank you.